Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Right now, an old friend, and he is Dr. Ken Turner and uh, Dr. History. Good morning. Good morning, Zab. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good, yeah. Well, let's see. i got to remember, what, what did we talk about last week? Um, uh, we were, it wasn't the Klondike, it was, um, <laughs> boy, our memories went down there. You were going to do some homework on that, yeah, remember? Well, I forgot. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I tell so many stories. You, know, you looked at me with the same vague stare I was giving you. <laughs> I've told so many stories, sometimes I get them a little mixed up. Well, you know, I said something, and you said, well, I'll check that out, and I'll give you the answer next week. But now neither one of us, first of all, you don't know what the answer was because we don't know what the story was. And we don't know the question. So we'll just move ahead, right? Okay. Uh, Okay, so today we're going to talk about Billy the Kid. Okay. All right? And I did a story about him, oh, several years ago, but this is, I like this one because this is told first person. Okay. By... I'll tell you. Oh. His girlfriend. Okay. Well, I'm not going to say too no? much. No? Okay. Let me get going here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so about 100 years ago, 1923, there was a guy by the name of Walter Noble Burns. He was a 56-year-old Chicago journalist, and he became really fascinated and intrigued by long-dead and largely forgotten Billy the Kid. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. That, yeah. But he suspected that his career might make a good story. So in the summer of 1923, Burns traveled to far off New Mexico, hoping to find maybe some older people that had known the kid. And actually, the biggest catch he got was a woman by the name of Paulita Maxwell Waramilio. Okay. Waramilio. Haramilio. Haramilio. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I know it was Joaquin we did last week. That's yeah. Joaquin Marietta. Joaquin. Yes. Yeah. So I hope I'm saying that right. It's J A R A M I L L O. I so, think it's Haramilio. Haramilio. Yeah. 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 So anyway, he was able to uh, find her, and he returned to Chicago. He had some articles, some stories, and these kind of got lost, and actually turned up in some of his these manuscripts in 2017. So these stories had been kind of hidden or lost for a long time. May I ask a question there? Okay. Uh, what town was it in New Mexico? It was Fort Sumner. Fort Sumner where Billy was supposedly shot. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Now, had her and her family resided there? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to tell you how okay. they okay. kind of came to together here. All right. But she knew... Uh, uh, Garrett and Billy the Kid. Sure, so, Fat Garrett. Yeah. Yep. So, and uh, this article goes on and says that, you know, Garrett was a brave, he was an efficient officer, he was the kind of man that uh, the Times and the country needed. When he became sheriff of Lincoln County, the county was probably the most lawless section uh, in the Southwest at that time. Okay. Now, Billy the Kid was just the opposite. He stood for lawlessness and outlaws as much as Garrett stood for the law. Did he really? You know, I, I hate to keep interrupting you. No, I don't. But uh, Billy, he had a lot of values, though, and he was very loyal to the people that he worked for. Right. Yeah. And and like I say, this is going to be from her words, I her see. interview. Okay. So I, I think I really like this one. But, uh, you know, when... 
Pat Garrett snuffed out his life at Fort Sumner. Billy the Kid was 21 years old. He was popularly supposed to have killed 21 men, a man for every year of his life. Uh, but both Billy the Kid and Sheriff Pat Garrett uh, made history in New Mexico. And many years ago, if you were to drop by Fort Sumner, New Mexico, you would find this uh, Mrs. Uh, Her- uh, Paulita Jaramillo. Her- uh, Just call her Mrs. J. Mrs. J. <laughs> And in 1881, she was just a young girl, uh, 18 years old, when Pat Garrett killed Billy the Kid in her house. Okay? And I'll tell you how that happened. So Mrs. J, Mrs. Jaramillo, (laughs) neighbors in Fort Sumner, repeated the tale that she and Billy the Kid planned to elope on horseback to Mexico on the night following that on which Billy the Kid was killed. So they that's kind of the rumor that was going around. And that was in 81. Yeah, 1881. Yeah. But Billy the Kid once said, I'm going to Fort Sumner to see my sweetheart if it costs me my life. Now, Mrs. J, Mrs. Jaramillo will tell the details of this old romance. Okay, quote, that old story, she said, has been going the rounds for more than 40 years, but it is not true. Billy the Kid and I were good friends, and that was all. If I had loved him and he had wanted me, I would have married him, no matter what he had done or what the world might have thought. But neither of us ever dreamed of love or marriage, and the story of our planned elopement is absurd. Strange as it may seem, Billy the Kid actually fascinated many women, and his record as a heartbreaker was kind of kind of a famous record. He was well-liked. I mean, there's a lot of... And he was a homely kid, too. Well, he wasn't that good looking, but he must have had a great personality, right? Yeah. It's your story. Okay. So, anyway, she goes on to say, uh, she said that uh, he had, at various times, three sweethearts in Fort Sumner. One of them, I am told, is now a respected matron in Las Vegas. Another had a daughter who lived to be eight years old, whose striking resemblance to the famous outlaw, who knows, yeah. the third and the last uh, was Mrs. Jaramillo, the one that he went and ended up getting killed. I see. So here's what she says again. I, I'm going to quote. I remember, she said, the first day Pat Garrett ever set foot in Fort Sumner. It was in February 1879, and he came to our home to ask Pete Maxwell, my brother. Now, keep that in mind. Pete Maxwell is her brother, and he's going to play a part later on here. Uh, He asked Pete Maxwell, my brother, for a job as a cowboy. He was fresh from the Texas panhandle where he had made a living hunting buffaloes. I was a little girl and stood behind my brother on the porch with my finger in my mouth and stared at him. He was the tallest man I'd ever seen and had the longest, funniest legs. His clothes were worn and weather-stained, and the queerest part of his makeup was a pair of hairy buffalo-skinned leggings. But this scarecrow man had a twinkle in his gray eyes and good humor in his drawling voice, and he smiled his way into a job. He worked on the range for my, my brother until Pete had a disagreement with him and fired him. Okay, so Pete's the brother. Okay. Now, she goes on. She says, after that, Garrett opened a restaurant in Fort Sumner and later went on to be a partner with a guy named Beaver Smith in a store and a saloon. He liked a social glass of whiskey every so often and was a great hand to play poker and Monty. And the men used to like to play with him because he usually lost. Pete and he made up their differences, and many an evening, Garrett spent in our home spinning yarns about his adventures on the Buffalo Ranges. He was a free-handed, easy-going sort of man, and everybody liked him. Now, I didn't know that about him. I didn't know he was, you know, that friendly of a guy. Yeah. 
So she goes on. She says, now, Billy the Kid and his band were at the height of their career as outlaws then. They made Fort Sumner their headquarters and were in town and gone again every little while, usually with their pockets full of money. She says, Garrett became good friends with all these guys. He... He ate and drank and played cards with Billy the Kid, went to dances with him. Yeah, I have a question there. The law in Fort Sumner. Now, was there a wanted poster out on Billy the Kid so that the law basically turned a blind eye and a deaf ear? You know, I, I don't know. It's kind of fuzzy right in there because they were outlaws, but yeah. I don't know if they were actually wanted at that time or even knew that that's, that that's who, who he was. But like I say, they became good friends. She says, I have seen them both more than once down on their knees around a blanket stretched on the ground in the main street, gambling their heads off, as they say, against a Monty game. If Pat went broke, he borrowed from Billy. And if Billy went broke, he borrowed from Pat. Really? <laughs> so, so these guys, I didn't realize they had such a close relationship. But, you know, there was a relationship that they showed even in the movies. Uh, some of the movies which depended a lot on fiction, like Young Guns and Young Guns 2, which was about Billy the Kid. Yeah. They always had the insert of Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid being friends at yeah. one time. Yeah. And she goes on. She says, sometimes they engaged in friendly, friendly shooting contests. Both were crack shots. It was a toss-up between them when it came to the rifle, but the kid was the better shot with the revolver. Uh-huh. He was a six-shooter specialist, and at quickness in drawing his weapon, at the same time shooting accurately, no man in the country was his equal. So, again, I'm quoting a lot from her because this is kind of her story. She says, the point I'm making is that in those days, the two were as thick as peas in a pod. There was probably not a man in Fort Sumner whom the kid regarded as a better friend than Pat Garrett. Mm. And she just goes on. She says, I knew these guys really well. And, uh, you know, and uh, they would go to these dances and the, the girls liked to dance with both of them they were you know good. i'm trying to get kind of a timeline here this is 1881 when billy was shot and killed right so we're talking eight, about three years before this okay so three let's let's say about 1879 and this girl this mrs J, at that time would have maybe been around billy's age well by the time this time came around, she was 18. Okay. But so she's only maybe 15 when she first saw. And then the Billy. guy that wrote this uh, interview with her found her in 1927. 23. 1923. 23. So by then she was a uh, you know probably about what, 60 40 something years old. Yeah. Yeah. So he got uh, yeah, straight from her. You know what uh, the story. Okay. So that's again why I like this, but. Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual, the company making traceability the new standard in the supplement industry. I remember staring at my prenatal vitamins and finding all these things I was trying to avoid. High amounts of heavy metals, synthetic colorants, and unnecessary ingredients. So... At four months pregnant, I quit my job and started Ritual because I believe that all women deserve to know what they're putting in their bodies and why. I'm so proud of our prenatal vitamin. The ingredients are 100% traceable. It's third-party tested for microbes and heavy metals and recently received the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. You see, we trace like a mother because, let's be honest, no one cares quite like a mother. But don't just take my word for it. Trace for yourself with 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. 
She also says, quote, Billy the Kid, let me, she says, let me tell you, cut quite a gallant figure at these jolly dances with his smiling boyish good looks. (laughs) So then she goes on, Garrett, Pat Garrett, married twice during two years in Fort Sumner. In 1880, Garrett moved to Roswell and was elected by John Chisholm and the Cattle Interest uh, Sheriff of Lincoln County. And then that goes into the whole story about Lincoln County, and I'm Absolutely. not going to go into that right now. Yeah. But Chisholm at that time was the largest individual cattle owner in the Southwest. Uh, he had been a friend of Billy the Kid until Billy kind of started going, becoming an outlaw and, uh, you know, uh, stealing she, uh, beef. Uh, anyway, uh, so she goes on, she says... Uh, Tom Foliard, well, the, the, was the first to die. Garrett had the word uh, that kid, uh, the Billy the Kid was coming into Fort Sumner to attend. a. So this is now when they're after him. Okay. So now Pat Garrett is after Billy the Kid. Okay. Are, am I, is that, are we okay? Yeah, 1881. Yeah. So we yeah. moved ahead a little yeah. bit here. So she says Tom Foliard, one of. Uh, Billy's guys was the first to die. Garrett had words the kid was coming into Fort Sumner to attend a big Christmas dance. This was 1880. With a posse of 15 men, Garrett rode into town. They put up their horses in my brother Pete's barn and hid themselves in an old military hospital. About 11 o'clock at night, one of their sentinels ran in with the announcement that Billy the Kid was coming. They rushed out to see five horsemen approaching through the darkness. Hands up, shouted Garrett. Four of the riders wheeled and galloped off in a shower of bullets from Garrett's men. Fulliard, mortally wounded, cried, don't shoot anymore, I'm killed. He slid from the saddle into the arms of Garrett. And here's what she says. She says, I heard all this as my mother and I were sitting at home. So she was right there. She says, they carried the dying man inside. For a long time, I could still hear his muffled groans and curses. Then his voice began to grow fainter, and at last there was silence. Now, Garrett and his posse struck north to round up the others. The four who had escaped were Charlie Beaudry, Billy Wilson, Tom Pickett, and Dave Rudabaugh, mm-hmm. but, and Billy. Right. But the fugitives took refuge in an old stone house, and this is the part that is pretty well known. Uh, Garrett's posse surrounded this stone house. When dawn came, Garrett and three others lay in ambush in a ravine 30 feet from the door. Beaudry stepped out to feed his horse, and he had on Billy the Kid's hat, and Garrett, in the dim light, thought it was Billy the Kid. Why did he have on Billy's hat? <laughs> that was a mistake. He probably was asking himself. So, huh. I don't know, probably just handy. I don't know. Hmm. Anyway, he shot him. Uh, Garrett shot him. Beaudry ran back inside, fatally wounded, and the posse heard Billy the Kid say, You're as good as dead, Charlie. Go out and see if you can't kill one of those fellows. I bet that's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) You changed the verbiage a little bit. This is a family show. I know. So dying, Beaudry obeyed orders. He staggered outdoors. He murmured, I wish, I wish. Then he fell dead. So I don't know what he was wishing. Now, Garrett and his men killed the band's horses that were out in front of the house. They took away the only chance of escape. Cold, hungry, worn out. The kids surrendered late in the afternoon. Um, the kid was tried in March in Masila for the murder of Sheriff William Brady in the Lincoln County War and sentenced to die on the gallows on May 13th. Now, Deputy Sheriff Bob Olinger, who was himself an outlaw, and a guy named J.W. Bell were guarding Billy. Okay, He's in jail now. And here's what uh, Jaramillo says about that. Quote, there are many versions of what happened. I'll tell you the true one. 
At noon one day, Olinger, one of the guards, went across the road to the old Murphy Hotel for dinner, leaving Billy alone with Belle. Billy seemed in high spirits. Well, amigo, he said to Belle, only a few more days left for me. Let's have a game of Monty. Belle, who was a good-hearted man, agreed just to humor him. He dealt out the cards on a table, Billy sitting on the edge of the table with his hands and legs still manacled, so he's got chains on his hands and feet. He joked and laughed as he played. Suddenly, as if by accident, he knocked a card on the floor. Bell reached down to pick it up, and when he straightened up with the card, he was looking into the muzzle of his own six-shooter that Billy had snatched from its scabbard. I don't want to kill you, Bell, Billy said. You've been a good to me. Step into that next room, and I will lock you up. But Bell turned and ran out the door, and Billy killed him as he started down the stairs. Mm. The hole made uh, by the bullet that passed through Bell's heart is still in the wall in the old courthouse. Wow. Uh, Okay, we've still got time. I'm going to try to get through all of her stuff here. So she says, hearing the shot, Olinger came running across the road. Billy caught up the shotgun that Olinger had loaded with buckshot for Billy and stepped to a window. When Olinger was just beneath him, Billy stuck his hat out and said quietly, Hello, Bob. <laughs> that was in the movie. Okay. Yeah. Hello, Bob. Hello, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good sign. <laughs> so as Olinger looked up, Billy riddled him with both barrels. Then he threw the gun, crouching down on his body, and that was probably the happiest moment of the kid's life. I can't imagine, but that's what she says. She continues. She says, Billy armed himself with two six-shooters and a Winchester. He filed off the chains on his hands and feet. None of the townspeople came to investigate. They guessed what had happened and stayed discreetly in their homes, leaving Lincoln's one street silent and deserted. He swung himself on a pony. He rode out of town in an easy gallop, his rifle across his saddle, whistling a little tune. So she continues in her uh, story. Uh, she made the comment that it was foolish for Billy the Kid, escaped from the shadow of the galleys, to go to Fort Sumner where he might have known Garrett would hunt for him the first thing. Sure. He should have headed for the Mexican border, she said, once across, which he would have been safe. But to Fort Sumner he rode as straight as a bird can fly, she said. To see his sweetheart and to meet his fate, Garrett heard he was hiding there. So, on the night of July 14th, Garrett came to Fort Sumner with two deputies, Kip McKinney and John W. Poe. So she continues with the story. They hitched their horses in a peach orchard at the edge of town and stole through the streets in the shadows of the houses to our home. Now remember, this is her brother, Pete. Pete Maxwell. Yeah. So Poe and McKinney sat on the edge of the porch while Garrett stepped into Pete Maxwell's bedroom to question my brother about the kid's hiding place. So, she continues, the kid at that moment was not more than 30 yards away in the house of a guy by the name of Gutierrez, which was actually uh, Pat Garrett's (laughs) brother-in-law. Anyway, he had come in a few minutes before from a sheep camp, tired and hungry, he took off his boots, boots, coat and hat, and flinging himself down on bed, asked Gutierrez's wife to cook him something to eat. Uh, And so she gave him some tortillas and coffee and gave him a butcher knife and told him to go over to Pete Maxwell's house and cut some meat from the carcass of a beach a bit. (laughs) (laughs) You better quit while you're ahead. Let's let's rewind that and start over. Cut some meat from the carcass of a beef butchered (laughs) the day before. Sounds good this time. And hanging on the north uh, porch. Boy, your face is (laughs) red. Oh, okay. Thanks, folks. (laughs) 
Okay, so here we go. So bareheaded, hatless, coatless, with a butcher knife in his hand and his forty-one caliber revolver in his belt, Billy started across a little open space to our house. Now, concealed behind a little fence, Poe and McKinney, the, the other two deputies, saw him coming through the moonlight. They thought he was one of Pete's sheep herders. When the kid opened the gate and stepped on the porch, he almost stumbled over the two deputies. Out came his gun as quick as a flash, and he said, Who are you? He asked, covering them, and they said, Needn't be afraid, Poe said to the what they still thought was a sheep herder. Nobody's going to hurt you. Well, the kid, keeping his revolver leveled, backed across the porch into the open door of Pete's room. Uh-oh. All right? The room was dark. Pete lay in a bed in a corner. Garrett sat at the head of the bed in a chair against the wall. Coming in out of the bright moonlight, the darkness for a moment blinded the kid. He stepped to the side of the bed, so close to Garrett he could have touched him, and said to Pete, Who are those fellows outside? Pete did not answer. The kid caught a sudden glimpse of Garrett's shadowy figure. He sprang back quickly and covered Garrett with his gun. Garrett answered with his six-shooter, and the kid fell dead in the middle of the floor with a bullet through his heart. There's still more, Zeb. Do we have time? Uh, Let me finish. Two minutes. Okay. Uh, she said, I was asleep in an upper room, and I was awakened by the noise. I rushed downstairs to the porch, where I found Garrett, Pete, and the two deputies standing in a hush, excited group. Not a sound came from the room, but no one would venture in for fear the kid might not be dead. If only a spark of life were left, he might be dangerous. She says, I brought a lighted candle, and keeping in the shelter of the wall, reached out an arm and placed the candle in the windowsill, and it lighted the inner part of the room. And they went in and found that he was dead. So they carried the body into a deserted storeroom. They had a funeral. And a lot of the people loved Billy the Kid. And so it was one of the biggest funerals uh, they had. So there's five things that uh, could have been if Poe and, McKin- po and McKinney could have killed him. Number two, the kid could have killed Poe and McKinney. Number three, the kid could have killed Garrett. Number four, if Garrett had spoken, the kid would have recognized him. And number five, the kid did not fire a shot. So and it goes on to explain what would have happened, uh, those different scenarios that could have happened, yeah. which would have obviously changed the whole scenario. I I know we're almost out of time, and I want you to respond to this quickly, but doesn't it surprise you as a historian, and especially somebody that just loves Western history and all these stories, whether it's uh, Billy the Kid or whether it's uh, Jesse James, whatever, we really don't know. You know, and this is, I like this because this was an interview yeah. done by a journalist clear back in 1923, almost 100 years ago. But you know, when you look at other history like Custer's Last Stand and all this other stuff that's in the history books, we still don't really no. know about Billy the Kid and some of these others. That's why I like journals, diaries, yeah, first person accounts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I got to run, but that was really interesting. You know what we ought to do? And here's your homework assignment that I hope you're I'll, I'll forget it by the time I get We ought to look at the personalities that rode with him, especially. Especially that Arkansas Dave Rudabaugh. Oh, Interesting yeah. person. Interesting you know what? I think person. I've done a story on him. I think you did, but I'd like to hear okay. that one again. Yeah, I'll see okay. if I can find that. All right.